Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Good morning, my friends, and welcome back to today's episode. I want to show you one more picture from our good friend Kevin Lendio, missionary to Japan. He uh, sent this picture along with the others of a pork roast in the Philippines. This actually is in his aunt's backyard. It's called, forgive me, my Filipino friends, Lechon? 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 Uh, Lechon sounds right. Uh, but uh, good old-fashioned pork roast. More importantly, just uh, a good reminder to pray for our good friends in the Philippine Islands. Boy, we're seeing some great things happen in the Philippines as far as the gospel's concerned, uh, but there's still much work to be done. So that's a good field for which to pray uh, today. Uh, we're in Mark chapter number 14 in our study of the book of Mark. And we just talked for the last few episodes about that woman, Mary, who offered that that ointment, that alabaster, she broke that alabaster box of ointment of spikenard. And wow, what lessons we learned from her over the past few days. And now uh, we're in verse number 10. So Mark chapter 14, verse number 10, uh, where the Bible says, and Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. So this really inaugurated the the end, you know, in the sense that Jesus had predicted uh, that one of you shall betray me. He had already said that. Uh, He had intimated that at the message he had preached in Capernaum. One of you is a devil. Remember that? So perhaps lingering in the back of the disciples' minds for these months and even years has been this thought that, wow, even among us is somebody that is going to betray the Lord. And Judas now acts upon that. So Judas goes to the council, the chief priests, and he negotiates a deal. He's going to betray the Lord, but he wants to get some money out of it. And what's very interesting about the fact that this happens here is in John 12, uh, John tells us as an editorial comment that the reason why Judas was so upset about the breaking of that alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, the reason why it really incensed him was because, wow, that was of great monetary value, 300 pence. And remember, Judas was the one that said, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. But John added, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the reason Judas said that was because Judas was an embezzler. And Judas had been skimming money off the top in that disciple treasury. And he was really motivated by his own greed, wasn't he? The Bible gives us several clues about how Jesus' ministry was financed. One of them was there were a group of women that voluntarily followed the Lord, some of whom were women of some means, had some money and some status, and they were helping to finance the ministry of Jesus. 
And when that money would come in, Judas was the treasurer, which meant which meant he was the most trusted of the 12. He was the least one to be suspected of the crime of betrayal. And yet, in his most trusted position, he was the most insidious of them all, wasn't he? And, and that that's a that's a uh, what a lesson for all of us that while we can play the game on the outside and while we can make other people believe things about us that that really doesn't reveal our true character doesn't it does it so judas he was trusted judas he was a miracle worker i mean jesus had given them power to cast out devils remember he was one of the 12 uh, Judas was trusted by the other disciples. He was the least suspected of any kind of, of of infidelity when it came to the finances. And yet Judas was the one that betrayed the Lord. And when push came to shove, the love of money was the revealer of his heart, wasn't it? I think that's why uh, the Apostle Paul was so heavy when he said, the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, he said to Timothy, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, he told Timothy. Later on in that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth them richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they, be, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, Paul said to Timothy, don't don't let riches skew your thinking. Don't let stuff cloud your perspective. Rather, you know, make it your goal to be rich in things that matter. Like be rich in good works. And if you do have resources, look at those resources as an opportunity to bless people. Look at those resources as an opportunity. Be ready to distribute. Be willing to communicate, to give. Why? Because in, in using your resources for the Lord, you're laying up for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come. You're making an investment. I think that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there's the principle. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So your heart follows what you value. And if you value stuff and what stuff can bring you, then that materialism will lead you to destruction, both spiritually uh, and, and, and to ruin in other ways. But if we value the Lord, then everything that we have in life is just accoutrement. It's just it's just uh, stuff that we can use in our pursuit of the Lord and our pursuit to please the Lord and to serve the Lord. So it's not wrong to have stuff, but it is wrong for stuff to have you. And clearly uh, here in 
Mark chapter 14, stuff had Judas. I like what Jesus said when he was uh, approached by one of two brothers. And the one brother came to Jesus and said, Master, would you please tell my brother, you know, that we're having this dispute about our inheritance? And could you be the arbitrator? Could you be the out-of-court settler of our dispute? And Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That's not what defines life. I'm not going to be your arbiter in those areas. And then he told the story about the, 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 the rich fool that said, well, I have all this stuff and I can't fit all my stuff in my barns. What am I going to do? They said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to build bigger barns. And then, that way I'll have more room for all my stuff. That's American Christianity. Bigger houses and bigger closets and self-storage units. Why? Because we have all our stuff and we need more room for our stuff. But that's not what we ought to be doing with our stuff. And Jesus was teaching, you know, thou fool, thou knowest not that this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be? Uh, and so, what well, we ought to lay up uh, treasure in heaven by viewing stuff as resource by which we can bless God and others, uh, not Judas. No, Judas's real motives are being revealed here in Mark chapter 14, as he is willing to sell out his ministry, sell out his professed belief in Jesus as Messiah, sell it all out for the coins that he's going to receive from the chief priest. He made this bargain. He made this deal with the devil, right? The devil has entered into him. Look at verse number 11. And when they heard it, so when Judas showed up, I mean, he's on the inside. Remember, the chief priests, they've been trying to find some way, some strategy by which to arrest Jesus. They're looking for some way because they want to arrest him. They hate him. They hate the fact that he has upended their temple trade, that he is overturning money tables, that he's preaching the way that he is. They want to silence him, but they also want to please the crowd. So they're kind of in this juxtaposition of, well, how do we do both? Uh, they, they, they can't find a way to at once please the crowd and silence Jesus. But now they have somebody on the inside. Now they have their Benedict Arnold. Now they can have uh, an inside scoop of where Jesus is going to be, what the best time is. Judas is going to be their informant. Watch their reaction in verse number 11. And when they heard it, so when he came and made this deal, when they heard it, they were glad. Oh, they were so excited. They were so happy about it. And they promised to give him money. Well, that's what motivated Judas. Uh, that's what, that was what motivated him. Money, stuff. And the Bible says, and he sought how. So from that time, the deal was made. Uh, the receipt was given. Okay, we got this money. We'll give it to you upon delivery of said profit, right? We're going to get it. When you give us the profit, we'll give you the profit, right? P-R-O-F-I-T. So, and he sought, see that at the end of verse 11? He sought how he might conveniently betray him. 
I think the other passage in Matthew talks about he, he from that point on, sought opportunity to betray him. And therein is a great truth that once you have made up your mind to do wrong. Now, has Judas actually betrayed the Lord yet? No. Now, you could say that this itself is a betrayal, and certainly it is. But as far as actually betraying the Lord, giving him the kiss of betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, has that happened yet? No. Has the arrest taken place? No. But the decision to do it has taken place. And between the decision to do wrong and the actual doing of wrong, there is a period of time where he could have repented, certainly. But no, his whole focus was, now I'm looking for an opportunity. Now I'm looking for the best convenient time to get this done. So it is with all sinful addiction. So it is with every sin. Before that person takes that sip of alcohol or be, you know, it participates in that drug use or, or embezzles that money or commits that act of fornication, whatever the sin is, before the sin takes place, there is a predecision on the part of the sinner to say, I'm going to do this, but I got to find a way to do this where people won't know. I've got to f- find a way to do this that makes me look good. I'm going to find a way to do this where I can get away with it. And so between the decision to do wrong and the doing of wrong, there is a season of looking for opportunity. And I guess my question to all of us today would be, you know, don't, or maybe not a question, but I guess my, my takeaway would be, you know, just because you haven't done it, whatever it is, doesn't mean that we're not guilty. Sometimes the only thing between you and actually doing it, whatever it is, is you have not yet had the opportunity, but you would do it if you could conveniently get away with it. You would do it if you could do it. And honestly, that's the revelation of our true character. The revelation of Judas's character is right here in this private place. No one else knows it. In fact, when Judas leaves the the Last Supper room, the disciples don't even know it. They don't even know. They don't even suspect it. But Judas has already made this decision. So my question to you, I guess, would be, what decision have you already made? Well, I would do this if I could do this, if I had the good opportunity. Wow, that's a danger zone, isn't it? Ask the Lord to search your heart. Ask the Lord to help you repent of that wrong and fleshly and betraying decision. And before you follow through on a life-altering action, ask the Lord for mercy and repentance to get away from that. I think Judas is a stark example of what happens when decisions become reality and Christ is rejected. Well, I hope that helps today. I know I only covered two verses, but important topic for sure. We'll come back in next episode to verse number 12. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.